Well, hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode of our podcast, we are finishing up our sermon series called Villains, where we have been exploring the stories of some of the most infamous villains we meet in the Bible to learn from their mistakes to make sure that you don't become the villain in your own story. Well, in our last episode, we talked about a villain who actually started out his story as someone who should have been a hero. But this week, we're going to see the opposite thing happen. We're going to be looking at someone who starts out their story as a villain, but ends up becoming a great hero. But how does that happen? Well, that's what we're talking about in this message. So let's get right into this episode sermon. Over the last few weeks here at Melbourne Heights, we have been exploring the stories of some of the most infamous villains that we meet inside of the Bible. And we've been exploring their stories for a reason. We've been exploring their stories to learn from their mistakes because we know that you don't want to become the villain in your own story. You don't want to become the villain in your own story. And by learning from other people's mistakes, you can make sure that that doesn't happen for you. Now, before we dive in and we start talking about our biblical villain for today, there is another villain that I want to introduce you to first. I want to introduce you to this guy. We can get his picture up on the screen. This is Felonius Gru. And just by looking at the picture that's up on the screen right now, you already have a pretty good sense that Gru is a bad guy. I mean, he's got the bald head, he's got the pointed nose, he's got the powerful upper body, he's dressed all in black. So this guy has James Bond villain written all over him. But instead of just being another in the long line of James Bond villains, Felonius Grew is actually the main character in the 2010 DreamWorks movie, Despicable Me. And yes, it is safe to say that Grew is pretty despicable. I mean, when we first meet his character inside of the movie, the very first thing that he does is pop a little boy's balloon. From there, he cuts in line in a coffee shop, and first thing in the morning, that's going to make you a supervillain pretty quickly. From there, it doesn't take long before he's threatening his next-door neighbor, and soon enough, he's lying to three cute little girls who show up on his doorstep trying to sell him some cookies. But these are just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the dastardly deeds that Gru has committed. He actually makes his name as a supervillain by stealing the Statue of Liberty and the Eiffel Tower miniature replicas that you find in Las Vegas, and he steals the full-size Jumbotron from Times Square in New York. But Gru has his eyes set on stealing something much bigger than a Jumbotron from Times Square. Gru wants to steal the moon. Now, you don't exactly arrive on the decision to steal the moon by accident. And Gru actually comes from a long line of villainous-type people. His family tree is filled with just about every kind of villain that you can imagine. He has everything from gangsters to pirates, from a mad scientist to an actual werewolf in his family tree. And when you come from that kind of history, when your family has that kind of baggage, well, it's not too surprising that Gru grows up wanting to try to steal the moon. Now... As hard as this may be for us to believe, especially since we started out this morning, spent our first couple of minutes talking about a cartoon supervillain, we all actually have something in common with Gru. And here's what it is. We all have baggage that can cause us to do villainous things. We all have baggage that can cause us to do villainous things. Now, 
You may not dream of stealing the moon because your baggage includes a long line and family history of doing villainous things. But you may not have the relationship that you want to have with your kids because you had a rocky relationship with your own parents. Or you may not be able to trust the co-workers that you have today because people that you've worked with in the past have betrayed you. Or you may not be able to be willing to help people out that are in need today because your generosity has burned you in the past. So we all have baggage that can cause us to do villainous things. It's true for Felonius Grew. It's true for each of us. It's also true for the biblical villain that we're going to be talking about today. And we find this week's story of a biblical villain inside the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts is part of the New Testament, and there are essentially two kinds of books that we find in the New Testament. We have books that tell us the story of Jesus, so we have books that are essentially biographies of Jesus. And then we have books that explain how our faith in Jesus grew and spread in the decades after Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. Well, the book of Acts is the second kind of book. It tells us about how our faith in Jesus grew and spread after Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. And as we're looking at the story today, we're going to see that our faith grew in some unexpected ways. And it includes at least one person who has a whole lot of baggage of their own. So let's take a look at Acts chapter 9 together. And we're going to start reading in verse 10. So here's what it says. It says, Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see again. Right now, in these couple of verses, we meet a man named Ananias, but Ananias isn't the villain in this story. But we do learn a few things about Ananias from these couple of verses in the book of Acts. First, we learn that Ananias is someone who believes in Jesus. We also learn that he lives in the ancient city of Damascus. And from there, we learn that God speaks to Ananias and tells Ananias to go and help a man who is blind. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the beginning of this story, the three verses that we just read, I can't help but assume that Ananias is going to go and do exactly what God has asked him to do. I mean, first of all, God asks Ananias, God tells Ananias to go and help this blind man. And I'm pretty sure that if God ever asks you or tells you to do something, that it's a good idea to just do whatever it is that God asks. But secondly, God doesn't just ask Ananias to go and help this blind man. He tells Ananias that he is going to heal this blind man. And I think that if any of us had the chance to go and actually heal someone, to perform a bona fide miracle, that we would jump at the opportunity to do it. But as we keep reading in the story, we're going to see that that's not exactly how Ananias responds to God's request. So let's pick back up in verse 13 and see how Ananias responds. Here's what he says. He says, But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that this man, the Saul we were introduced to earlier, has done to believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. 
So in these verses, we find that God tells Ananias to go and to help this man who is blind. And Ananias says no. But Ananias doesn't say no because he's just being stubborn, and he doesn't say no because he's a jerk. Ananias says no because God isn't just asking him to go and help some nameless stranger. God is asking Ananias to go and help someone who has a whole lot of baggage. And that man's name is Saul. And Ananias hints just a little bit at the baggage that Saul is carrying with him. And we'll get a little bit more into that a little later on. But I want to start out and make sure that we fully understand and appreciate all of the baggage that Saul is carrying with him. And it starts with his name. And the first thing that we need to know is that names were really important in biblical times. It's not like today where parents may decide to name their child after a beloved relative or after their favorite fictional character. Or they might pick out a name that just sounds unique to them. In biblical times, names had meaning. And every parent would have spent the time trying to pick out a name that would reflect a certain characteristic that they hoped that their child would have as they grew up. So let's talk about the name Saul. And if you were worshiping with us last Sunday and paying attention during the sermon, that name Saul sounds familiar to you. Because the Saul that we're talking about today, the one that Ananias is sent to go and help, he's not the first Saul that we meet in the Bible. He's not even the most famous Saul that we meet inside of the Bible. The, fa- the most famous Saul that we meet in the Bible is actually Israel's first king. And it was the name Saul was extremely appropriate for Israel's first king because the name Saul means ask for. And Israel receives their first king. Saul becomes their king after the people of Israel ask for God to give them a king. So Saul is the king that Israel has been asking God for. And let's just say that that fact kind of goes to his head. So Saul gets a little big-headed, and he starts feeling like he is God's gift to the world. And he comes to believe that God has empowered him to do whatever it is that he sees fit. And this mindset, this attitude, it causes Saul to do some pretty atrocious things. It causes Saul to do some pretty despicable things. It causes Saul to do some pretty villainous things. So it doesn't take long before God regrets his decision to make Saul Israel's first king. And God starts looking for Saul's replacement. But even though King Saul lived about a thousand years before the Saul that we're talking about today was even born, somehow, someway, throughout all of those years, throughout that history, the baggage associated with the name Saul carried all the way down to the guy we're talking about this morning. And that's because the Saul we're talking about today, the one that Ananias is told to go and help, he feels the same way about himself that King Saul felt about himself. The Saul we're talking about today came to believe that God had asked for him to come and defend his faith. The Saul we're talking about today had that same high opinion of himself where he felt like he was God's gift to the world. The Saul we're talking about today felt like he had been empowered by God to do whatever it is that Saul sees fit to do. And just to give you an idea of just uh, how self-important this Saul feels about himself, let me share with you the way that he describes himself in a letter that he wrote. Here's how he describes himself to people, and it's really worth listening to. This is what he says. He says, if anyone else has a reason to put their confidence in physical advantages, I have even more. 
I was circumcised on the eighth day. I am from the people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. With respect to observing the law, I'm a Pharisee. With respect to devotion to the faith, I have harassed the church. With respect to righteousness under the law, I'm blameless. You see what I mean about having a pretty high opinion of yourself? The guy who wrote that letter, he sounds more than a little full of himself, right? So, yes, this Saul, he has come to believe that he is God's gift to the world. He has come to believe that God has empowered him to do whatever he sees fit. And just like King Saul, this leads him to do some atrocious things. It leads him to do some despicable things. It leads him to do some pretty villainous things. This is actually what Ananias is hinting at in the passage of scripture we read just a minute ago when he said, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that this man saw has done to believers in Jerusalem. So what exactly is it that Saul has done? Well, Saul has been persecuting and oppressing people who believe in Jesus. Now, the historical record, it doesn't tell us how widespread this persecution was. And we don't know for sure exactly how many believers in Jesus were persecuted by Saul. But we do know for sure that Saul oversaw the execution of at least one leader in the early church. And from what Ananias tells us and what we've been reading today, Saul has been authorized to go into the city of Damascus and arrest anyone that he meets there who is a believer in Jesus. And this is a pretty big problem for Ananias because Ananias is a believer in Jesus. So Ananias is struggling to see past Saul's past. He's struggling to see beyond Saul's baggage. And who can blame him, in all honesty? I mean, we know that Saul oversaw the execution of people who believed in Jesus. We know that Saul has been authorized to go and arrest anyone that he meets who believes in Jesus. So since Ananias is someone who believes in Jesus, it makes perfect sense that he's not able to see beyond the baggage that Saul is carrying with him. And if we're being honest with ourselves, if we were in Ananias' shoes, we'd probably feel the exact same way about Saul. But you know what? Your past doesn't have to define your future. Your past doesn't have to define your future. And as we continue looking at Saul's story, we're going to see just how true that statement really is. Because even though Ananias is not able to look beyond Saul's baggage, even though Ananias can't look past Saul's past, God can. And before God even asks Ananias to go and help Saul, God has already been at work in Saul's life, helping Saul to become the person that God wants him to be. So if we go back just a little bit in the story to the beginning of Acts chapter 9, you can see what I mean. So let's look at Acts chapter 9, and we'll start reading in verse 1. And here's what it says. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation to arrest any followers of the way, its followers of Jesus, that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Sounds like a pretty villainous guy. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, 
Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hands to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. So on the road to Damascus, Saul meets Jesus, and his life is going to be changed forever. By the end of Acts chapter 9, which we've been reading this morning, we're going to see that Saul goes from being empowered and authorized to arrest believers that he finds in Damascus to becoming a believer in Jesus himself. And not only that, not only does Saul become a believer in Jesus, but he goes into the synagogues, the same synagogues that he was authorized to go into and arrest followers of Jesus there, and he starts trying to lead people to believe in Jesus. That's right. This guy who had gone to Damascus to arrest people who believed in Jesus becomes a believer and he starts trying to lead other people to believe in Jesus as well. How is that possible? How can someone who hates followers of Jesus, who hates Christians as much as Saul does, end up believing in Jesus? More importantly, How can God use someone like Saul with all of his baggage to share the good news of Jesus with other people? Well, God's able to use Saul to share the good news of Jesus with other people because God isn't concerned with who you've been. God is concerned with who you are becoming. God isn't concerned with who you've been. God is concerned with who you are becoming. And on the road to Damascus, Saul was becoming someone new. On the road to Damascus, Saul meets Jesus and has his life changed forever. On the road to Damascus, God takes all of the baggage that Saul has been carrying around with him and throws it away. On the road to Damascus, Saul's very identity is changed. His name is changed. On the road to Damascus, Saul becomes Paul. And and there's something interesting about the name Paul. The name Paul shares the same root as the word pos. Let me say that again because I want to make sure that you don't miss it. The name Paul shares the same root as the word pos. So when he is on the road to Damascus and when he encounters Jesus, it's like Jesus presses pause on Paul's life. And when Jesus presses pause on Paul's life, he says, everything that you've done up to this moment in time no longer matters. All of the baggage that you have carried to this point in your life, it doesn't count anymore. The only thing that matters is what you do with your life going forward. The only thing that matters is what you do in the future after I press play on your life again. And when Jesus presses play on Paul's life, He's changed forever. Something similar happens to the villain that I introduced you to at the beginning of this morning's sermon, Felonius Gru. Gru starts out the movie as one of the baddest bad guys that you were ever going to meet. 
But from his encounter with those three cute little girls that showed up on his doorstep, his life is changed forever. Those three little girls were orphans, and ultimately Gru makes the decision to adopt them, and he becomes their father. Now, today we're wrapping up our sermon series where we have been talking about villains and trying to learn from their mistakes to make sure that you don't become the villain in your story. But there's one more thing that we still need to learn to help you make sure you don't become the villain in your story. And it's a lesson that Saul learned on the road to Damascus when he met Jesus and was changed to Paul. It's also a lesson that grew, learned, when he met those three little girls and he went from being a despicable villain to becoming their dad. So here's that lesson for you. No matter what you've done in the past, God still wants to make you a hero in the future. No matter what you've done in the past, God still wants to make you a hero in the future. And God can do the exact same thing for you that God did for Saul. No matter what you have done in the past, no matter what baggage you carry with you today, God can press pause in your life and reset your future. No matter what baggage you carry with you, no matter what you've done in the past, God can push pause on your life to help you become who God has always wanted you to be. And that's because you are not defined by your history. You are not defined by your baggage and everything that goes along with it. You are not defined by the things that you have done in the past. You are defined by the one who created you. You are defined by God. And God wants you to have the future that he has always envisioned for you. God wants you to be the person that God made you to be. God wants you to be the hero in your story. But what that means for us, what that means for you, is that you need to realize that your past is in the past. And for some of you, you need to be able to put your past behind you once and for all to move forward into the future. Because God's not concerned with who you've been. God's concerned with who you are becoming. And if you're willing to put your past behind you and let God control your future, you'll find out that you can become the hero in your story instead of the villain. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this word of prayer, we are thankful for the story that we've heard today of Saul becoming Paul. Because, God, this story reminds us that if you can take someone like Saul and all of the baggage that he carried with him, his, his hatred, his violence, the way that he treated people who followed you, God, if you can get rid of all of that and allow him to become not just a believer in you, but to become one of the fathers, the founders of the church that we are in in the world today, that you can do the same thing through our lives, God. And we know that every single one of us carries our own baggage with us. And the baggage that we carry, it can cause us to do villainous things, God. But God, show us that what we've done in the past doesn't have to define who we will be in the future. That you can take us. You can press pause in our life. That you can reset our future and allow us to be exactly who you made us to be. So God, my prayer is that you do that in each of our lives that you show us that what matters is what we do from this moment 
forward, that you allow us to be who you made us to be. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode has reminded you that no matter what has happened in your past, no matter what baggage you carry with you, that God can do the exact same thing for you that he did for Saul. God can press pause on your life and he can reset your future so that you can become the hero that God has created you to be. Now, like I said at the beginning of this episode, this was the last sermon in our villain series. So next week is the Sunday before Thanksgiving, so we are going to be talking about Thanksgiving. And then following that, we've got a special sermon series ready for Christmas this year, and we're calling it Ugly Christmas Sweaters. And we're going to be talking about how we can leave the ugly to the Christmas sweaters this year instead of carrying it in our attitude all throughout this Christmas season. So we hope that you'll come back and join us when each of those episodes drop on Tuesday morning. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, each of those episodes will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app, or you can join us live on Sunday mornings and worship with us at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time on our church website at mhbclouisville.com slash live. We would love to have you with us. Well, until next time, I hope that you have a great week. I will be praying for you, and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.